Welcome to Wildlife Matters, a podcast from Dorset Wildlife Trust. Join us as we share news, articles and conversations exploring all the work we do to protect wildlife and wild spaces here in our beautiful county of Dorset. Hello and welcome to another episode of Wildlife Matters by the Dorset Wildlife Trust. Uh, my name is James and I am the Assistant Warden for West Dorset, currently based at the Kinkham National Nature Reserve. And today I have the pleasure of saying that I'm joined by entomologist, uh, broadcaster and Dorset Wildlife Trust president, none other than Dr George McGavin. Good morning, George. Good morning, how are you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. Good to see you on this fine morning. Yeah, well, it's, it's a little overcast here today. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> everybody, everybody thinks I live in Dorset. I wish I did. I, I don't, unfortunately. I, in fact, when, when they asked me to be president, I thought I would be automatically disbarred by not residing in the county. Yeah. I thought they, they, they might offer me a, a shepherd's hut or a, you know, <laughs> a, a sheep shearing shed that I could sort of occupy like some hermit. But uh, sadly not, so I'm a Nascot in Berkshire. Uh, <laughs> well, many, many listeners will already know you, George, from, uh, from the TV, like I've said, and, and from other podcasts. But for the benefit of those who don't, um, would it be right just to have a bit of an overview of your career and, and what's led to you becoming and, and accepting? Yeah, Sure, um, absolutely. Well, you know, b- born in Glasgow, grew up in Edinburgh, became pretty aware that the natural world was my thing, probably aged eight, I suppose, um, and didn't find anything at school terribly interesting <laughs> except biology. So it was pretty obvious that I would go on to do a degree in zoology at Edinburgh University and a PhD at Imperial College. And then I ended up teaching at Oxford for 25 years. So oh, I was wow, also in fantastic. charge of the of the museum collection. So the museum in Oxford is really quite amazing. Um, and it's got uh, probably the second biggest insect collection in the UK. Wow. So after 25 years there, on a Friday night, I was on the way home after tutorials back to back. And uh, I suddenly realised that I was preaching to the converted because all my students were, you know, that's what they wanted to do. I wasn't really persuading anybody to be interested in biology because yeah, they were course. anyway. And I realised that really what I wanted was a much bigger audience. So I resigned. And, then, and this might come as a bit of a surprise. I mean, you don't, you know, you don't normally resign a tenured position at Oxford University. <laughs> but I wanted to get into TV. I had done a little bit of TV and I enjoyed it. Um, and then I resigned in 2008 and since then, I've made something like a uh, hundred short films for the One Show. They don't make, uh, they they don't have natural history anymore, which is a great shame. Uh, and I also made, uh, I was involved in the big five expeditions for the BBC. You know, Lost Land of the Jaguar, Lost Land of the Tiger, etc. And I did a lot of other documentaries, like uh, you know, uh, Hands and Feet and Sewage and afterlife so you know I've, I've had a very uh, a very full career and to icing on the cake was to be asked to become the president of the Dorset Wildlife Trust. That's amazing yeah and in the recent uh, Dorset Wildlife Trust magazine 
Um, I saw that you were on Brownsea uh, celebrating the 60 years of opening to the public and you did an insect safari. Uh, I was, yeah, it was great. I mean, you're always slightly worried when you do insect safaris, you know, will you find anything interesting? But of course, you always do. Um, and I'm always, I'm always amazed at how many people know quite a bit about birds and, and reptiles and the, and the wildflowers, but it, they, they really aren't very good on insects. I mean, they, they will recognise a, a, a bumblebee and a, you know, and a moth and a butterfly and stuff, but, but there, there are, of course, 22,000 species of insects in the UK. Yeah. Uh, and you can't possibly know them all. I mean, I don't know them all. I've got a good handle on it, but... Uh, you know, it's endless fascinating in the nation. And, you know, like, well, one of the great joys is showing a kid something interesting in the in the undergrowth and saying, you know, that's a, a shield bug and it does this and it does that. Or here's a wasp and that lays its eggs and the eggs of other insects. And, and I, think, I think kids don't get that exposure these days. I, I think schools don't take them out enough. I think parents are too busy sometimes. Uh, but they, w whenever they do come into contact with the natural world and they really get their eye in it, it is endlessly, endlessly fascinating. Am I right in saying that you're also um, going to a school this afternoon? Mm, absolutely. Well, one of the things uh, I used to do at Oxford uh, was outreach. And, uh, you know, in a time when it, was, it wasn't even fashionable to do outreach, yeah. I did outreach. Um, uh, and it, it's a great thing to do because schools don't, they, they can't possibly do everything. So to have somebody coming into the school um, and speaking about their career or their specialist area, it can be a game changer. It really can. I mean, I've been in schools where some little boy or girl has been, you know, paying real attention, not, not very audible or noisy but they're taking it in and, and you find out afterwards that it was it was a turning point it was <laughs> you know it was a time when they said yeah this is what I'm going to do and that for me is is one of the great joys so I'm, I'm heading off to Oxfordshire uh, back, back to where I used to work and I shall be addressing a, a, a fact a sixth form group although I do like to do eight to twelve year olds because mm. that's that's when you catch them that's when you catch them. Yeah. If you, if you don't, if you don't catch them by eight, nine, ten, eleven, uh, it's a harder job. Yeah, like a, a pivotal moment where yeah, you, you realize yeah. Every, everybody has it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm And well, when, when was yours? What? When did you realize that conservation, natural history, would be your bag? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so I went through life knowing that I wanted to work with animals. Um, mm. I did want to become a vet at, at one point, um, but I just felt um, I did a bit of experience and I just felt like it, it wasn't for me. So um, I also found that during school, I, I really enjoyed making. So I was, I was hoping to incorporate um, talking about the, the natural world and the environment through art. Um, uh -huh. So I took a bit of a weird journey. I, I went um, to university, I studied sculpture um, uh -huh. and that's, where I learned about the Anthropocene and um, uh, yes. <laughs> yes. yeah, and, and and also actually as as well the uh, museum of or centre of uh, post natural history, which was quite interesting yeah, yeah. but also quite uh, quite scary. But um, yeah, I just felt that 
my practice wasn't enough. Um, I, I was creating objects and I wasn't getting, um, I guess, the reaction. And, and I, f I felt like you don't need to raise awareness for uh, the climate and, and things like that anymore. We, we all know oh. things are changing. Well, you do declining. need to raise awareness. I mean, um, there's a lot of people out there, you know, who, <laughs> who think it's a hoax. Yeah, yeah that is true. But I just felt that my practice wasn't really doing that. So I, I wanted to get fully involved myself. Um, so I came back home to Dorset. I, I volunteered, um, which led on to me becoming a trainee out in East Dorset. Mm. Um, that, that gave me all the skills to, uh, um, yeah, to become an assistant warden, which, which I am now. Um, but all through that process, I've been learning um, all the wildlife in Dorset. I've, I've worked pretty much around the county in, in, on all, all the, well, not all of the reserves, but many of them. Um, and that's really, yeah, allowed me to um, do, do what I can, <laughs> which um, I felt that my, the sculpture wasn't, wasn't doing for me. So, yeah, that, that's, that was my, mm. that was my journey. Um, uh, and, and it's very yeah. interesting. I mean, uh, uh, well, one of the things that we had to do at Edinburgh when I did my, my degree in zoology was, was to draw things. I mean, it's a, you know, drawing and sketching is an incredibly useful skill. Yeah, uh, and it feeds into so many uh, areas of your life, and I, I, I do think the if if they do this natural history O level, which I yes. think is is in the cards, which is a very good thing. That'd be fantastic. I, I, I hope they incorporate sketching, natural history notebooks, taking notes, making records. Yeah, uh, all of that stuff. I, I think is in, incredibly, incredibly important. Now, of course, I, you might say, why did they ask me to become uh, president? <laughs> well, <laughs> the the presidency is it's a sort of a, it's a funny role. You 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 have to support the Dorset Wildlife Trust, and you have got to advocate for it, and you've got to, and of course, you you do have to be a bit of a a named individual, somebody who people will know. It I I regard it as. You know, well, some people regard it as a sort of honorary, you know, position where you, you don't really have to do very much. I, I want to do a lot for it, but as much as I possibly can. Yeah. And one of the reasons is that I love Dorset. Oh my God! I mean, I've been going down. <laughs> I, I, although I'm it's a I'm, special county. I'm, it's a very special county because it's it's a bit like Scotland, only a lot warmer and drier. So, so it's, it's got the sandy soil, it's got the heather, it's got the pine trees, it's got, it's got everything, and it's just not freezing cold and wet. So it, it's, it's a, those, those southern heathlands are, are, are quite a, a, a rare habitat, and, and you have bags of it. And, of course, lots of pretty unusual insects in, in, inhabit that part of the world, yeah. such as the Purbeck um, a mason wasp, uh, which I absolutely adore. I mean, you know, the, 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 the wee wasp that lives on that one track or two tracks and it catches heather um, caterpillars and it puts them underground. And, and I went down there to, to photograph them for the first time about two or three years ago. Oh, yeah. And I spent, I spent a whole day just broiling <laughs> under the sun but I mean having such a fantastic time and so many people came past me of course saw this mad bearded guy you know on his hands and knees you know photographing what looked like sand you know 
Uh, and they, they would, of course, if they were brave, they'd say, oh, excuse me, what? what you <laughs> <laughs> and then you, you would tell them what you were doing, you know, this incredibly rare wasp that's only found here, nowhere else, and, and you, you explain what it was doing and how it lived. And, and it, they were all interested. Yeah. And this, this is one of the things I try to get across, and one of my things I always try to tell people is, you know, don't power walk, you know. I mean, okay, the, there are times where you may have to get somewhere in a hurry, but if you're out for a walk, slow down. You know, look at stuff. Don't you, you ain't going to see anything if you get from A to B as fast as you can. Um, and if I'm in a woodland glade or a heathland, you know, a mile will take me several hours. Yeah. <laughs> because you just have to bend over and look down and see what's there. And it's only when you start to look that you will find the stuff because insects are generally small. Yeah, I mean, life life is going so fast, I feel, sometimes, and, and you, you're constantly given loads of information with social media and things. It's, it's yeah, it's a really good opportunity to um, slow down and, and, and witness what's what's around you that you wouldn't necessarily see. And, I mean, we've got um, uh, heathlands like um, Upton Heath and Tadnall and Winfrith, um, and they've got, yeah, fantastic, fantastic wildlife, and it's amazing that we've got them because I think we've only got a fifth um, or in the UK, there's uh, we, we have a fifth of all the heathlands that are that are in the world, I believe. Um, so they're really Im- important habitats. Yeah, really, truly yeah, fantastic. Absolutely. Well, I mean, it, it, it's such a beautiful county, and it's almost like it hasn't been discovered yet. But actually, it is. <laughs> it has been discovered, and it's it's actually getting busier than it than it probably ever was. And I know. I know that can be a problem because the more people you have going, the more footfall, the more, the more impact we we have as a as a species, as an animal, mm. because we don't all look after the place, we don't all take our garbage home, we don't Very all true. do what we should do, and you know education is such an important thing, and the wildlife trusts in general do a fantastic job in that they. Well, they they now have to rewild places because you know if we're to grow, we have to take on areas of ground which were hitherto used for other things, like wild uh, wild woodbury, uh, woodbury yeah. which which of course is tremendous. I mean, that was that only raised a few cattle, you know, for yeah, for, <laughs> and it took a huge area, you know, and now it's well on the way to being. You know, a very interesting mosaic of habitats and wetland and, and uh, all the rest of it. Yeah, I think I think it's 170 hectares. I want to say in in, in total. So it's a, it's a considerable area, and they're already having really good records, like um, still silver studded blues and juvenile adders. Um, so it's a really exciting place at the moment. Well, of course, this is what gives me great hope. This is what gives me hope. I know it's very easy to be a doomster these days. A doomster and a gloomster. <laughs> and uh, and there, there, there's very good reasons why one should feel doomy and gloomy, uh, because the things are not going well. I mean, you know, habitats are being lost. Pesticides are at an all-time high use, even though the World Health, uh, World Food Organization's proved that a third, or 33% of all the food we grow is wasted. So, I mean, if we could just do something about that. Um, and... You know, species are in decline. I mean, when I started my degree course in Edinburgh in 1971, 
uh, I thought that was it. I was, I was going to go off around the world, find new species, and but actually, what I've done is I've just presided over a steady decline uh, since then. I mean, yeah. the, the species numbers and abundance has been going down and down and down. Everybody will be aware of the fact that we don't get insect splatter on our cars anymore as we drive around yeah because there are just so few flying insects and i wonder what people of your age do you yeah it's been it's been very interesting and and as you say it's difficult not to be doom and gloom and i mean I, i've got a fact here 60 percent um of flying insects have declined in the last 20 years and it's yeah. it's difficult well, uh, to be positive when we have uh, facts like absolutely. that. absolutely absolutely i mean there's been a massive decline in 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 flying insects uh, and, uh, you know, you, you, insects are, I know it's, it's hard to describe what they do, but they're, they're so, they're such an important part of all terrestrial habitats. They are the ecological glue that holds it all together. Yeah. They're, the, they're the oil in the engine of ecology. They are, they are what transfers energy from the sun ultimately to high, higher animals. Most higher animals feed, feed on insects. I mean, you simply wouldn't have any birds uh, if there weren't insects so they are they're the major carnivores the major herbivores the major recyclers yeah they dispose of carcasses and dung they you know it's you know you wouldn't have any flowering plants blah 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 we know all this and yet we still don't seem to be sitting up on our hind on our haunches and going hang on a minute this this is not good uh, why we'll, we'll have to do something about this. And this is where the Dorset Wildlife Trust comes in. This is where yeah. Wildlife Trust in general come in. If you can restore and nurture and look after the natural world in your part of the, of the country, and if everybody does that in their part of the country, we, we're, we are going to make great headway. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, we have 40 plus uh, nature reserves um, and we all uh, do our best to manage them in a way where we're uh, providing, like you talked about earlier, a mosaic of habitats, uh, lots of age diversity. We do um, things like coppicing, um, which is cutting down sections of the woodland to enable younger growth to be mi mixed in with the older growth, um, really providing um, habitat and food for the life cycles of a variety of different insects. Yeah, this is, this is uh, it's interesting to hear you say that because this is a, a common misconception, uh, which I, I find, is that people say, "Well, if you want a nature reserve, just just put a fence around it and uh, leave it alone." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very true. Yeah, yeah, that 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 might be uh, an approach, but of course, ecology being what it is, you know, things change, habitats change, and they will pass through a series of stages where they will be eventually end up in this part of the world. As a woodland, yes. now that's no bad thing. You know, we we like woodlands, but there are many species and many plants, many species of insects and animals and plants that l need an early stage. They don't want a mature woodland. In fact, the number, the total number of species, tends to drop off uh, as you get older and older. Uh, and so, what you want, as you so rightly say, is a, a mosaic of habitats. So you need some bare ground you need some uh scrubby parts yes because not everything likes a woodland yeah yeah and i was just thinking of um the silver spotted uh, skipper up on fontmel down yeah um really loves um 
staying at the top where it's the warmest on, on the south facing slopes yeah. um, but it needs that bare ground next to sheep's fescue to be yeah. able to the rare stuff tends to be quite picky with um, some of the things that they they eat yeah. Um, yeah. think about the marsh artillery as well and as you say if, if we if it was all left um, a lot of the nature reserves would end up as as woodland and and um the, the bare ground specialists like um, the heath tiger beetle as well. Yeah, um, exactly so, exactly so. so. So you do need a, a variety. And of course, what's against us, what works against us a lot are grazing animals, especially if you've got too many grazing animals. Uh, yeah. You know, the, the, and I, I used to do a little experiment uh, with uh, students and schools. And what, what, what we would do is we would dig a, uh, a small trench around a, a three by three um, meter square, and we'd sink a fence, a wire mesh fence, into the ground, and then have it above ground as well. And we just leave it, and that mesh would exclude r- rabbits and sheep and deer. And yeah. within a couple of seasons, of course, the inside of this exclosure is suddenly full of flowers and and plants, and wow, they um, true tree seedlings and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. And the, the the common reaction to this was, Wow, why did you why did you plant all that stuff in there, George? <laughs> and you go, Well, uh, no, I didn't plant anything in there. That's a seed bank that has been allowed to 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 germinate yeah. uh, because it's freed from the constant grazing pressure which it, yeah. it normally has. So yeah. it's a living, the, the whole ecology, the whole of natural history is a living, moving, throbbing being. And, if, you know, if you do something wrong, it, it will have an effect. But it, it, it's, a, it's an experiment that anybody can do, actually, in their, even in their back garden or, or in, in, if they are fortunate enough to own a, a small piece of scrub or woodland, try it, you know, put, yeah. put, build an exclosure and just see what you get, you know, growing in it. Yes, it's the balance is really important because, as you say, uh, we don't want any any overgrazing, and if you end up undergrazing, you'll have the the species that thrive on nutrient rich soils that will overtake um, and overshadow other species. So, yeah, it's definitely the balance. Well, of course, this is it. Yeah, this is this is one of the things that folks are finding the great interest in wildflower verges and what wildflower in general uh, and of course one of the things you shouldn't do is to import foreign seeds alien right. wildflower seeds you know let let our habitats regrow naturally but the other thing of course is that wildflowers don't tend to like rich soil so if you're going to try to grow wildflowers in your lawn you you've got to take the lawn cuttings away you you've, yes. you've got to make the ground is as in fact if you really want to do a good job basically remove all the soil yeah <laughs> and throw it, away. Well, throw it away but you know use it elsewhere and and then of course you will get the wildflowers that are designed to spring up very quickly on very poor ground yeah um but uh yeah what what's your view on verge cutting and this is a one of the great issues of the day that you know the county councils are Strimming verges, uh, you know. Yeah, it's, all it's a very possible. good question. Um, I think we can get quite stuck in becoming or, or wanting tidiness um, oh. where, where it's just not needed. And and obviously, uh, in terms of safety, it's, it would be good to make sure that sort of verges are cut um, so you can see where 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 you need to. 
Um, but they're, they're great habitats. And I think a good example is along the Weymouth Relief Road. Ah. Um, the top the topsoil was, was, wasn't put back on top of there and it was reseeded with chalk specialists and pyramid orchids are coming up. And yeah, I Phil think, Sterling, yeah. Phil Sterling. Phil Sterling, yeah, Sterling. shout out to Phil. Who, yeah. was at, who was at Oxford for, for a few years. Thank you, Phil, for great <laughs> yeah, uh, so, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I mean, at a time when bees are having such a hard time, uh, yes. for councils to strim dandelions... You know, yeah. it's, it's not causing any visibility issues. And no. I, I would say, I would say, if a verge is high, you know, grass and stuff, slow down. Yeah. But yes, I mean, I, I don't mind a little, a little mowed strip at the edge of a road. But uh, yeah. dandelions, particularly, vital spring flowers for early bumblebees who come right out. at the beginning of the season. And what they don't want is to emerge with a bit of a warm spell and then find there's no uh, you know food for them and that, yeah. you know because some some contractors strimmed all the all you know all the flowers there and then at the end of the year ivy what's your what's your view on ivy come on oh ivy is really important for pollinators right towards the end is similar to the dandelion but on the other end of this of the uh, of the year exactly um exactly. yeah we 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 do love a bit of ivy, and, and it also is really good for bats as well. Uh, does ivy kill the... trees? I don't think so, George. No, of course it doesn't. <laughs> no, I mean it, this is this is ingrained into you know some people's minds that that ivy is somehow a strangler fig. It's not a strangler fig. Uh, in fact, even strangler no. figs aren't strangler figs. But uh, you know, if the tree is rotten and has a heavy ivy weight on it it might hasten its demise but ivy is not is a natural part of the british uh, countryside and the ivy flowers are an absolutely vital autumn supply of food yes. for all sorts of insects yeah and yet and yet every time i go around i mean to see an ivy stem as thick as your forearm these days <laughs> Is actually quite yeah, rare. Yeah, it is very rare, yeah. And you go along and this disheartening image of this, somebody's just chainsawed through ivy and then, then you get a big mass of dead ivy in the tree. It's just horrendous. Yeah, no, ivy is definitely really important. Um, so ed education is really bad. Yeah, and, and going back to, to verges as well, I, I wanted to just ask you um, what you think of No Mow May because I think that's a really good initiative to encourage people to stop mowing. But obviously we need... Well, I yes, I, I had a no more May and then it became no more June and then I thought, to hell with it, it's no, no more July. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, um, and my lawn has survived beautifully, thank you, my small lawn. Yeah. So I, I, I've just cut down the, the dry grass heads and underneath my lawn is lush and green. I've got a few flowers that we, you know, we didn't have before. I might mow it a light mowing in about a week or two's time mind you it's been a very bad insect year I, it's been quite I'm, scary I'm not, sure, I'm not sure how what you've had but up here in Berkshire uh very poor insect year I mean I went I walk around our small village every week and I just look at what's around and I've never seen so few bumblebees so few hoverflies yes uh, I don't think ever uh, it's picked up a little bit now. 
Yeah. But uh, it, it, it is alarming. It is alarming. I have to admit, yeah, we, we try and do as, as many moth traps as possible throughout the year just to um, keep our moth records up to date on our reserves. Um, but, mm -hmm. but like you say, towards the beginning of the year, we were getting very small numbers. Um, and it took quite a while, actually, to, um, to pick up. Um, and we, funnily enough, we actually had a moth trap this morning um, at, at the uh, Dorset Wildlife Trust HQ. And uh, we actually had a really good haul, um, over uh, over twenty species. I'm not sure how many individuals as as yet. I need to go count, but but yeah, it's it was quite um, quite scary not to hear the the normal buzz um, of the meadows. So what what's your day? What's what, what's an average day for you? If if there is such a thing as an average. Day? <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a very good point. Um, we we don't really tend to have the average day out at Kinkham because a lot of our um, work involves being on the farm and, and um, making sure that the animals have enough food and, and things like that. And, and we'll, we'll be moving them um, later this afternoon, actually, in, onto a different area. So um, they're able to yeah, not overgraze um, what, they're, what they're grazing. Now, what, 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 what animals have you got? So we've got um, Angus Cross uh, cattle. Angus Cross. Um, yeah. And we also have um, some sheep and some Exmoor ponies. Um, yeah. So yeah, really getting that diversity in with with what they um, what they eat and and how they eat it as well, because obviously the, the cows wrap their tongues around and, and rip off rip off the vegetation. Um, so yeah, my day tends tends to evolve around that first, and then um, then once those are sorted, or or if we need to do anything at all, um, we go out on the reserve. Really, we're always out every day, um, come rain or shine. Um, yeah. And this week we've been doing some bracken bruising. Um, so again, um, making sure that we, we don't really want to have a monoculture of one species. Well, because bracken's an interesting plant. It, it it's is. one of the world's commonest plants. grows on every continent. Yes. Uh, and uh, it's a remarkably interesting plant. There are lots of insects who use it. I mean, uh, there, yeah. there are several species of fly, sawflies, beetles, bugs. That, that that use bracken exclusively as their uh, uh, you know food plant. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and yet, even though there's all these insects eating it, only about four percent of the bracken mass gets gets eaten or or you know, yeah, taken away. Yeah. And it is, of course, a woodland plant. And and wherever you see bracken, that is indicative of the fact that there was a woodland there before. Yeah. Uh, and and I I just wonder. To what extent we should rewood large parts? I mean, we have lost a, a huge amount of trees in the UK. Yeah, and, and I I would advocate leaving woodland to naturally regrow. Don't don't plant stuff. You you, you don't need to plant it. it takes yeah. a little longer. It takes a little longer, but at least it's in straight lines. You know. Yeah. And it and it will naturally expand into the areas that it was originally. Yes. And of course, uh, that's what they're doing at Wild Woodbury. That's what they're allowing to happen, isn't it? They're yes, allowing it yeah, to yeah, naturally yeah. regenerate with the, um, the seeds and things that are in the hedgerows already or already in the seed bank. Now, I'm, I'm imagining that you have this idyllic, stress-free job. <laughs> but I, oh, I, I wish imagine, I could say that, George. <laughs> yeah, I imagine all jobs have a certain amount of stress. But uh, you at least have the ability to just wander about the reserve. And I find, no matter how stressed I feel about or how upset I feel about something, I will take myself off 
into yeah. uh, as ancient a woodland as I can find or some natural habitat and I will lose myself for yeah. an hour, two hours. And no matter how, what the problem was when I started, I usually can't remember what it was by the time I come home. Yeah. Uh, the, the natural world has this remarkable capacity to to heal, to to soothe, uh, as long as we still have some. And I think people people should get out a lot more. I, I really, really think people should just get out more and just for the sake of looking, just, yeah. you know. Well, it's proven, isn't it? Um, that Absolutely. Yeah, and, and forest bathing for two hours is, is re- yeah, really good for your health. I, I did try an experiment on this, actually. I, oh, yeah. I, I took a primary school out and I took the, the, the class out into a little patch of woodland and, and we, we, we tried forest bathing. Now, in order to get them into the, into the situation, I said, right, find a little space, sit down, and get comfortable with whether you've got your back against a tree or cross-legged, whatever you want, or even lying down in the ground. And I want you to keep absolutely still for two minutes. Uh, they're about eight or nine. Now, interestingly, uh, the girls were great at it. The girls were brilliant. The boys were rubbish. Oh, they, were just, they, just, they just they had too much testosterone. But I said, <laughs> still and quiet, and you will suddenly become aware of bird song that you hadn't heard. You'll, you will hear and your insects flying next to you and close to you. You will become more yeah. aware. You, all your senses will be heightened. Just keep quiet. Well, the boys, of course, were fidgeting and going, is it time yet? Is it, have we finished yet? Because they, they couldn't get the concept that being quiet was a thing. Yeah. That's what was, that's what was going to work. <laughs> they regarded it as some obstruction that they had to get over to do something else. Yeah. You see? Uh, but it, but it, is, it is a remarkably soothing thing. Yeah, and, and I have to admit, one of my favourite um, wildlife experiences has to be just after COVID, um, where we're allowed to actually drive to locations. I went to Brackett's Coppice Nature Reserve, which is also sort of north, northwest Dorset, and there was hardly anybody there. And it was just, it was just a haven. Um, all the, all the um, wild garlic was in flower. Um, mm. There were loads of inverts, and, and I was also looking for the narrow-bordered bee hawk moth, which is a rarity that we get at, at, at the uh, reserve. Um, but as you say, it was just perfect to take time and, and sit because you'd obviously been indoors for however yeah, many yeah. months. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, taking that opportunity to, yeah, to, to ground yourself um, out yeah. in any of our nature reserves is a, is a really good thing. I've, I've got... I've got a sort of a call to action uh, in mind, uh, and I've actually tried to air this view before. If, if every Dorset Wildlife Trust member, right, and they they're they're obviously a member because they value the Dorset Wildlife Trust and what it's doing, it's trying to to bring nature back, yes, uh, in a big way in the county, and that's absolutely right. If everyone was to recruit one other person to join the Dorset Wildlife Trust, you would, your membership would jump by 100%, bang, yeah. overnight. Yeah, that's all we need to do, is if everybody who joins gets one more member or one more family to join. Uh, and why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you join the Dorset Wildlife <laughs> Trust? I mean, what possible reason? It's pretty affordable. It's pretty affordable. Yes. Uh, and what you get for it, of course, is 
incalculable. And I don't mean the magazine or the this or the that. I mean the fact that you're buying into the survivorship of a piece of the country which is still not wrecked. Yeah. And, and, and you it's want to bring hope. it back from the brink as far as you can. And that's going to give you places to, to walk and to forest bathe and to yeah. get at one with the natural world. I mean, it's just, it's worth everything. I think that's it. It's, it's having that access, isn't it? And, and I think it's, it's, we do have footpaths around the county, but there's a lot of places um, throughout the UK where you, you just can't get to because it is privately owned. And a lot of our reserves are open access, um, power stop being one and, I think Tadnall and Winfrith is also open access, although we do say um, be quite try and be sensitive um, during the birds nesting season not to disturb. Yes, well, um, exactly. Yeah. This is the. But yeah, just is... having that open access and, and yeah. being able to experience places um, like gems in the pockets of, of the countryside yeah. to to yeah. to see the remnants of what what it was throughout the UK, what it used to be, and make it not a remnant, make make yeah, the remnant exactly. bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, like, like we said earlier, it's, it's quite difficult to be quite positive. But I think to, to end um, our, our great conversation, George. Um... <laughs> I've only just got started, mate. <laughs> and another oh, I wish thing. We could keep going. <laughs> <laughs> and another thing. Um, but uh, what do you think, um, what do you find as the president of Dorset Wildlife Trust, what do you think is the most important thing that, that, um, that we do that, that we education, do. education education kids 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 get the kids yeah. involved get the kids involved get out there to school get them out in the reserves get you know oh just it does give you hope when you do see um younger conservationists coming through um who Absolutely. are sort of just there's green indie um who i think he's he's just coming out of university but no it is it's really um, gives you hope when you know that there's going to be custodians of the of the countryside of, of all the other wildlife trusts, um, making sure that they're um, looking after all all the landscape and, and things for the generations to come. And it's it's not as if we have to actively do stuff; we just have to stop doing the bad stuff. Yeah, you know, just stop doing what you shouldn't be doing. You know, yeah. stop flailing your hedges hard and every year you know let them grow a bit let them get a yeah. bit thicker stop cutting down trees stop laying artificial lawns stop buying moles too from peru just have a <laughs> bit of common and apples sense from new zealand huh? <laughs> i've seen apples from new zealand oh, as well. i know <laughs> we we had the finest orchards in the world oh well, yeah uh, we got we got to ship them halfway around the blooming planet now water 90 <laughs> percent water <laughs> oh my goodness, I don't know. But no, yeah. keep doing what you're doing. And, uh, you know, one of the most important things, as I say, if every Dorset Wildlife Trust member can do one thing this year, just one thing, get another member. That's, yeah. that's all. And it grows like that. It's like it's like viral, you know? <laughs> and it just goes yeah. poof, you know? Well, it's been a, a fantastic morning, George. It's been awesome to talk to you and, and to talk to you over Zoom. A great pleasure. Well, I hope the uh, the talk in Oxford um, to the sixth form students goes really well this afternoon as well and, and safe travelling. It's been great to talk to you. Thank you very much. If you're already a member of Dorset Wildlife Trust, then do think about whether you can take up George's challenge to encourage someone else to do the same. 
And if you're not, then you can find out more about membership at our website. That's dorsetwildlifetrust.org.uk. Thank you for listening and do join us again for another episode of Wildlife Matters.